Hey there, City Gators. Vic here. I'm going to be speaking today. Um, we are in chapter 5, the final chapter of this uh, first letter that Peter wrote. Uh, we're going to be reading the first five verses together. And uh, today's title of this message is Sheep and Shepherds. And uh, it'll become apparent as to why in a moment. So won't you join me as we read uh, from verse 1 in chapter 5. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, please open up uh, over there. Otherwise, follow along with me on the screen. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word. Please join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. Uh, we thank you, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus, as a shepherd to us, the lost sheep, to come and save us, to come and rescue us. And we thank you that as you ascended into heaven, you, you did give gifts to, to, to men, to your church. Uh, and, and, and many of them are leaders. Uh, and you want them to follow in the footsteps of the chief shepherd. And so these verses are to instruct us. Uh, and so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd come now and open our eyes and our ears and help us learn whether we're followers or whether we're leaders. And help us to take something uh, home today that would change us. I ask that in Jesus' name. Uh, you may have seen some of these, uh, you know, silly videos where someone else was filming a person, maybe uh, leading someone that's blindfolded, you know, towards a gift or towards a surprise. Uh, and uh, in some of those videos, uh, the person leading uh, the blindfolded individual uh, maybe uh, takes their eye off of the, the, the blindfolded person for a moment uh, as they navigate maybe a hole or a pole. Uh, and they, they, they mess up a little bit. They forget to, to lead this individual strongly. And then often they lead the person into the hole or into the pole. Um, and, you know, of course, it's really funny. But, you know, that's just a simple illustration of uh, how important good leadership is. You know, leaders, leaders that know where they're going is able to take you, the follower, uh, where you should be going as well. And this passage that we've read today is primarily addressed to church leaders. Um, and if you have journeyed with City Gates uh, for the last little while, um, you would probably recognize you know, some of the terms. The one term especially is the term elder that we use uh, for those that serve on our senior leadership team. Now, I personally have quite a bit to say about the subject because, I mean, this is my world. This is uh, uh, where I, I live. And, and maybe you are saying, well, it's not relevant to me. I'm just a follower. I'm not in, in, in particular uh, official le leadership in a church. And before you switch off, I want to encourage you to, to stay focused because uh, you need to know who you're following, first of all. But, but all of us are being influenced or are influencers actually in some way. In fact, if you're a Christian, uh, your job is to be uh, an influencing agent in this world and to lead 
even in an informal, uh, unofficial capacity anyway. So I believe that there will be good things for you to, to, uh, to learn from today. Um, and then if you are a guest with City Gates and you've wondered how we work and how our leadership is, is structured, this is an opportunity for you to quickly, you know, peep under the hood, so to speak. Uh, and it's just a little glimpse. I cannot cover everything leadership uh, related here. Um, but you're able to see uh, some of our philosophy and most importantly, see why uh, it is the way it is. Uh, and, you know, our claim is, is that we, we, we look at verses like this, we base it on the scriptures. Uh, so, uh, you know, I believe uh, the uh, organizational chart of a church, the org chart of the organization called the, the church should be a very simple one. Um, the Bible talks about these two official offices of leadership, elders and deacons. Uh, deacons, you can see them being addressed to the Philippian church, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Paul there speaks to the elders, to the deacons, and to the saints. And then if you look at 1 Timothy 3, uh, that there are some uh, qualifications outlined there for the office of a deacon. The word deacon is really just means dusty servant, means someone that serves officially uh, in the local church. And these two offices, elder and deacon, uh, uh, you know, each of these uh, people, individuals that serve in those capacities, they have different gifts. And we looked at the gifts uh, a few chapters earlier, and, and we encourage you to, you know, do the gift gauge uh, assessment online and, and figure out what are the gifts God's given you. But each of these offices, each of these individuals in those offices, they themselves have different gifts. But those gifts aren't only for people that serve in those official capacities of leadership. As we've learned, gifts are given to every Christian. Every Christian should at least have one gift that's given by God to them to serve the local church. So deacons and elders. Elders, according to the scriptures, are qualified men in accordance with 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. Of course, you can throw 1 Peter 5 that we've just read now. You can throw that in there and you can go to Acts chapter 20 and a few other verses as well. But primarily, we see the qualifications for an elder from those two passages. And deacons are different in the sense that it's qualified men and women that can serve in that capacity. And I've referenced 1 Timothy 3 already where you can see that. Now, maybe some of you are thinking already, well, this is weird. So you're making this distinction. You know, uh, men only in the one office, but, uh, you know, the, the other one's open to all. And, and where do we get that from? Well, the simple answer, quick answer here, uh, is, is it's derived from, from family and the picture of family there as we see it in scriptures, in the scriptures. So the, the, the Bible teaches that in a home, in a family, the husband is the head of the home. Um, and, and the church is often described as the household of God. You even see that in the qualifications for an elder, that if a, a, a man can manage his own household well, he's able to serve and lead and, uh, and be involved in that capacity in the household of God. Now, the Bible does not speak to you know, how things should be in, in, in politics or in the corporate world or in academia. And so, of course, you know, women can have the gift of leadership and, and, and is able to lead as CEOs and presidents of institutions or countries. And, um, but when it comes to the church and to the family, the Bible does say something about that. And it's within those two uh, places that it's very specific, that governance in that sense and, and uh, ultimate responsibility falls upon the shoulders of men. And uh, you might think uh, culturally that doesn't sit, sit too nice with, with, with you. And, you know, I was just thinking of a movie that I, that I watched. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's fairly new, I'd say. It came out in the last five, ten years. And uh, it's Alexander's in a very good, horrible, very bad, horrible day. I, I don't remember the title. But uh, in the movie, there's, there's, a, there's this 
season where the dad is trying to find work and mom is paying the bills and and you know he's doing some of the stuff that mommy used to do uh, and uh, it's taking baby to you know a, a mom and yoga class you know so there's the dad amongst the many moms and and uh, doing yoga moves with with the baby and one of the moms you know says to him oh it's so great to see that you're a fommy and he's like well, what's a fommy you know and, and she says it's a, it's a father mommy and uh and, you know, it's funny. Everyone is laughing. And I think the reason why it's, it's still funny in our day is that there are still traces of uh, what some would call a traditional, what we would say a biblical philosophy of how a home should work. And, uh, and, and so, you know, that's, that's upon which church leadership is built. And now as I say that, I also want to just say that as a, a, a church, and we see from the scriptures, there's a high value placed uh, upon marriage uh, and, and the team aspect of that, husband and wife together. Because as you'll see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, the family life can actually disqualify an elder. And so therefore, the wife of an elder, her character and her gifting, surely uh, uh, both qualify, qualifies and complement the calling of a husband as an elder. And when we even refer to, to an elder, we often refer to eldership couples. We understand that the Bible describes marriage as one flesh, you know. It's not, you can't just separate the two. It's like, I do this and she does that. Actually, there's this, this mysterious unity that, that, that comes along with marriage. And so if a husband serves as an elder, he serves in partnership with his wife and she serves in partnership with her husband. You know, I've often heard people say, well, you know, our individual callings uh, and giftings, it's amazing, they don't really get in the way of each other. And although that sounds great and sounds like how hey, you made a good call in terms of a spouse, we would say that's maybe a bit of a low bar to aim at, that actually that you two don't get in each other's ways. We would say that actually, no, that union, that husband-wife union, uh, is about complementing and co-laboring. You should aim for that, that your giftings complement each other and you're able to together move in the same direction. So let me move on from that uh, uh, and just maybe summarize these two. Eldership, you know, according to the Bible, it would be described more as servant leaders and deacons that come alongside to help the elders are, are perhaps described as leading servants. And, and it all starts again, Genesis chapter 2, where, you know, the first family is created. You know, Adam is made and then it says that there was no suitable helper for, found for him. And so he got, got put into sleep and, and, you know, we know he brought Eve, he created Eve for Adam as a suitable helper. And there's a sense that in the local church, you know, elders are like fathers and actually the deacon team can act like suitable helpers that can come al alongside. You fast forward to Acts chapter 6 and you see a prototype of a deacon team forming there as the early church is birthed and, and the apostles function as elders and they need help. They want to preach and pray uh, and there's all these practical things that need to take place and they they form a deacon team, uh, or a prototype at least. They say that's the beginning of that team. A suitable helper in a sense that can come alongside their, their, their leading. And uh, I also just have to say that, that uh, you know, Although they help with some of the practical needs, these uh, people that were chosen were, were full of the spirit. Uh, it wasn't just a practical, you know, great with spreadsheets and administration. No, in fact, they, they carried some significant anointing and spiritual weight as well. Um, here at City Gates, we have, uh, or we had, <laughs> four elders, uh, Lawrence and Liz, who were on our eldership team. We planted them out. We sent them to Quenelle uh, to start a church there uh, just under a year ago. Um, and so now there are three elders, Mike, 
Toby and myself, uh, and I have the privilege of leading that eldership team. Um, and uh, that's pretty official, all right? Um, and then you might ask, okay, well, you said elders and deacons, so who are the deacons at City Gates? It's a great question. Uh, let, me, let me answer it to, to you in the, in the form and the shape that it is quite now, oh, at the moment. So I would consider those that come onto staff at City Gates, uh, and this stage is Courtney, uh, she's full-time, and in, even in her, in her contract, you know, it, it, it says that one of the requirements is that she meets the qualifications as outlined in 1 Timothy 3. So she's, she's technically employed in the capacity of a deacon uh, with some specific responsibilities and roles that she needs to fulfill. And then we would say from a volunteer point of view, our community group leaders who help us as elders, as shepherds, take care of the people, they, they serve in the capacity of a deacon, very likely, as well as some serving team leaders. Um, but um, I want you to know that we are, as, a, as an eldership team, speaking about and planning to appoint deacons in an official capacity in the near future because we understand we can't kind of, you know, major on the one and, and not the other. And, and we can't just get away by saying, well, those people function as deacons. We, we think that we would do those people a, a great service when we give them responsibility and authority. Uh, um, actually, it might make their jobs even easier when there's affirmation and recognition of what they do. So that is coming, just so you know. Um, but back to elders, especially uh, these verses that we've read right now. Um, you know, there are two other words that are used alongside the term elder that you may have spotted over here. And the interesting thing is, is that these words are always there uh, in the New Testament when you speak, when spoken uh, or speaking about elders. I'm, I'm trying to get my words right here. Um, and they are used interchangeably uh, when referring to the same person. And so the first word is the word elder, but the two additional words we'll talk about in a moment. Just to say that the word elder, I think, you know, speaks, you know, even in its own of, of authority. If you think of age, often uh, authority sometimes comes with age. Uh, and yes, in this case, age does help, you know, uh, in our spiritual walks uh, with, with Jesus. Um, but it's not always the case in terms of eldership. It's, it's more, perhaps more emphasized on, on the authority. Uh, and the word elder um, in the original Greek is the word presbyteros. Um, and, uh, and that's the first one. And the second word that is used is the word shepherd. Uh, and the Greek word there um, used in this passage is uh, poimeno. I think I pronounced it correctly. Or poimen, which is derived from. Uh, and it's, uh, we, we say, use the word pastor. And pastor and shepherd means the same. I think pastor is Latin for shepherd. And that's how we ended up with the English word. But shepherd and pastor are also in the scriptures uh, used interchangeably to mean the same thing. And as Peter pens this, you know, even he starts off saying, me as a fellow elder speaking to you, uh, writing to you as elders, I'm pretty sure the words of Jesus are ringing in his ears. When Jesus reinstated him, he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus so graciously, uh, after his resurrection, uh, came to Peter and asked him three times, do you love me, Peter? And, and Peter answered, yes, every single time. And then Jesus would respond with these words, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, feed my lambs. Um, and so there's that shepherd metaphor. Uh, and so I, I'm pretty sure that, um, that from that moment, you know, Peter knew, uh, you know, God, Jesus wants me to be a shepherd. Uh, and so he's writing as a fellow elder, fellow shepherd to these uh, other shepherds in this, these local churches. And uh, this can often be the sense uh, for, for people who are called uh, to, to lead in a pastoral capacity in a church. There, sometimes the experience is very similar to that of Peter's, perhaps, where, where there's a sense like, I love you, Lord. And, and you just sense the Lord asking you to look after and to love and to lead and to feed his people. That's, some, that's very often the way that it goes for most of us who find ourselves in this capacity, in this shape of ministry.
And then the third word that's used is the word oversight. Um, and that is the word episcopeo or episkopos, um, which is actually uh, translated often in English into the word bishop, um, which speaks of supervision, over, super, uh, sight, vision, over, oversight, supervision. Uh, those are the same things. Um, and of course, it's not just uh, oversight in terms of le leadership uh, um, and, uh, you know, um, administration, seeing the big picture, leadership in terms of leading towards a vision, uh, you know, um, taking people in a direction. Uh, it's, it's also prophetic, I believe, you know, to be an overseer or to see over is, is perhaps to see beyond the now and take people into a, a great a future. That's often what shepherds would do is they would take, you know, sheep to greener pastures. And, uh, and there's a sense that oversight includes that as well. And so, you know, I've heard people summarize it like this. They would say, you know, that the job of an elder is to love, lead, and to feed the flock. Others would say it's to govern, to guide, and to guard the flock, guard them from wolves. Um, and so, you know, the, uh, in the qualifications there, it's about uh, uh, refuting uh, a bad doctrine, teaching sound doctrine. Uh, church discipline is included in that. You know, you think of a shepherd in Psalm 23, the rod and the staff that, that comforts the, the, the sheep. Uh, you know, there's, there's that responsibility to, to protect and to take care of a flock. And of course, to, to, to lead them into a prophetic future and to feed them with God's word uh, and to love them, to care for them. And, you know, much of this responsibility is actually done through this, through, through preaching, through teaching and preaching, uh, where doctrine is set and, and where the word of God is expounded uh, upon uh, for the benefit and the growth of the community. And here, um, this is where people go, oh, okay, yeah, so I, I can see, you know, um, there's a lot of guys uh, that teach and speak here at City Gates. And, and, the, and the objection might mean that, well, there's not a lot of women that do speak, you know. And, and I get where that question comes from. And I would stop and say, actually, this is not a guy-girl thing, not a, a male-female thing. You know, men can preach and women cannot preach. Actually, it's an elder, non-elder thing. That's a better way to look at it because in reality, if elders set the, 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 the doctrine and, and primarily do this through teaching, well then the, the bulk of or the meat and the potatoes of our preaching calendar in a year would be done by the elders. The, the lion's share would be done by the elders and the rest would be done by non-elders. And some of those non-elders would include women. You know that women have preached here. And, and so the reason isn't a, a man-woman man, thing. The, re, the, the theory or the philosophy behind it is uh, uh, elder and non-elder. And so, you know, when non-elders do teach and speak, some of those non-elders who have the gift of communication uh, and, uh, could, be, could be women, and they have been women in the past. And so... Um, Another one I want you to, to, uh, to notice here is that it's referred to elders, a, a plural form, the plurality of elders. And so everywhere where elders in the New Testament are referred to, they're always referred to in team. So there's no uh, lone ranger, you know, solo pastor uh, kind of vibe. It's always a team uh, and there's safety in that, isn't, isn't there? There's always a team of elders that, uh, that would do the leading together. And I want you to see these things, um, and I wanted you to, to see those three words that are used here to describe the role of an elder, uh, because I want you to perhaps spot uh, how this often gets played out, those roles in modern churches, particular churches in the West, where I have seen 
uh, a lot of compartmentalizing, a lot of departmentalizing, you know, there's sort of a bureaucracy uh, uh, type of approach to church leadership where uh, around these three job description, you know, that of, of authority, that of shepherding, and that of um, oversight. And, and so you'd see churches um, uh, are pretty pragmatic, perhaps look at the corporate world and learn from the, the, the business world and apply those principles uh, into the church world. And, uh, and, and so you find yourself with governing boards, like elder boards, but they, they, they certainly do not have the pastoral or the oversight component. Maybe they're just people who look at budgets and hiring and firing of staff. And so there might be, you know, a bunch of shrewd businessmen or very, very uh, uh, intellectual consultants. Um, but that's kind of the only function they do. And then, you know, there's, this, there's, there's, a, there's pastors, some of them on staff, others volunteer, but all they do is they, they care or they administrate and make sure that caring takes place, but they have no authority really. Um, and uh, and uh, they probably don't contribute much to the direction and the vision of, of a church. Um, uh, and then, you know, you see other moments where oversight and administration is done by staff, uh, again, or, or there's a team of deacons, and they seem to have uh, more authority than everyone else. And sometimes people call them the team of demons instead of deacons. Um, and so I've, I've seen all these, these different uh, sort of church models played out. And... Uh, and I see biblically, and we, you know, as a team here, and as a church, and even in our movement, biblically, we, we see those three distinct descriptions actually in the same office, the office of an elder, uh, and they're, of course, combined in a team. So each of these elders, uh, they have gifts God's given them, but then even in terms of those three roles of authority, of pastoral uh, giftedness and, and oversight, um, that, that, you know, they, diff- they weight it differently, but it's not like, you know, uh, uh, you have a, a one person's an elder, one person's a pastor, and one person is an administrator. It's that actually it's required in terms of the, the qualifications that all three are present in those individuals. And although these three words do describe what an elder does, uh, the focus actually, as is with this passage and most of the passages, is not on what they do, but how they do it. Uh, that is actually more of an important thing in the scriptures. And, and so the term elder for us is more of a label as opposed to a title. Let me try and explain that. So a label is generally at the back of something. The front would be the title. It's the brand name. It's the fancy writing. and yeah, It's the thing that you can recognize. Um, and then you turn it on its back and then there's a little label tells you the ingredients, the things that's inside that actually makes it what the brand is advertising. And, and the Bible majors on the label, the, the ingredients of that office as opposed to the title. Um, and, you know, recently, I, this week actually, I bought milk, brought milk home. Uh, we uh, have this, uh, this maize um, uh, meal that's made from, uh, uh, we call it mealies, but it's like corn and, um, uh, in South Africa. And so we had a bit of that. And, and my favorite thing it made of it is something called putu pap or krimel pap. Um, I love it. You can have it as breakfast or as dinner. And we had a little bit of leftovers. And I, you normally, sometimes you have it with milk and sugar. And that's one of my favorite things. And so um, no milk, uh, but I knew we had some leftovers. And so I brought milk home. I went in, I looked at the brand. I like the yellow bag. The yellow bag is, you know, three and a half percent. It's whatever, it's real milk. And um, looked at the expiry date. Yeah, it's, it's still fine. We've got a couple of days on the clock left. Went home, you know, took a bag out, dropped it into the container, cut it open and poured it into my prepared putu pup, my crimel pup. And as I poured it in, it chunk, just little chunks fell out. 
and it just ruined half of my, I mean, I scooped it all out, but I was pretty upset because uh, I was so excited to have this. And uh, it's a classic example of, of the ingredients being the thing. I don't care how nice the bag was, it was wrapped up, even the expiry date was written right. You know, the brand was on point, but the ingredients failed. Uh, and it's like that with leaders. Actually, it's not so much about the brand, about the title, it's about the ingredients, what is on the inside. And so in this verse, there are sort of three uh, ways in which Peter uh, encourages elders in terms of how they should do the what. Uh, and the first one is to not do it uh, for the love of praise. The second one is to not do it for the love of profit. And the third one is to not lead for the love of power. So let's look at, look, let's look at those three. Uh, in verse two, he says, I want you to, 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 to be shepherds of God's flock, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So how does that connect to not doing it for the love of praise? Um, because this is, this is the compulsion here, I believe, is not necessarily somebody forcing you uh, um, in, in, in a way that you might initially think, but perhaps the pressures uh, of, of people and, and man-pleasing, you know, doing it for the motive of making people happy as opposed to making the Lord happy. That's why he says, as God would have you. Because actually, listen, you need to want to, to, you need to, uh, want to do it. 1 Timothy 3 says that uh, he who desires to be an elder desires a noble task. There can be godly ambition saying you want to do it, but it is not forced upon you. So there's this, this thing, you're, you're not doing it under compulsion. You want to do it. But, and there's a sense that Jesus is whispering in your ear saying, feed my sheep, you know, lead my sheep, love my sheep, tend my, my sheep. You, 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 uh, you feel compelled to do that. But it's the voice of Jesus that compels you. It's, it's, it's his love for the people that moves you. Um, and not actually uh, a sense the people cornering you and, and you know, manipulating you like a puppet. Um, and, and even when it comes to organizing the church, we've just talked about the, the simplicity of, of the organizational chart, chart of a church. Um, it's not buckling under the pressure, perhaps, to be pragmatic and to, to, to seem quite corporate and business-like in the way that things are done. Because elders will give an account to God for how they lead. They will not give an account. Ultimately, they don't give an account to the people. They give an account to the Lord, the chief shepherd as under shepherds. I think one of, one of the things uh, that people might, might put pressure on us for is saying, hey, you, you don't have women pastors. What's going on with that? And, uh, and my answer to that, again, is saying, well, look, the, the scriptures tells us that, that men are elders and we're going to stick to the, to the Bible's guns. Um, but I would push back a little bit and say, well, technically, we don't have men who are pastors either. And what do I mean by that? I, mean, I just said elders are pastors and elders are men. So what do you mean by that? I mean in the way that people generally ask me, in the sense that you know, they are familiar with you know, Pastor Jackie or Pastor Jill. Uh, and I would say, well, there's no Pastor Vic or Pastor Mike, or Pastor Toby here at City Gates either. Because again, we don't major on the titles, we major on the labels. And I know if you push me, and often sometimes, you know, I meet some new people and they call me Pastor Vic and I stop them. And I say, no, actually, just call me Vic, please. And let me tell you why this is a philosophy of ours. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, to pastor uh, is, a, is a gift, you know, one of, whether it's an office or, you know, this grace gift in Ephesians 4, we're not going to argue over that. But, uh, um, you know, as you do our gift gauge, maybe you who's not on eldership or serving in any formal capacity might have seen some of the results is that you have the gift of 
shepherding, of pastoring. And you know, Courtney, who's on staff here uh, at, uh, at City Gates, you know, she did the gift gauge and she, she spoke to me. She said, listen, one, one of these is pretty weird. It said that I've got the gift of shepherding, of pastoring, and I don't see that. And I said, well, actually, you know, Courtney's pretty involved in Young Life, which is our kind of high school ministry. And, and she's often, uh, you know, she's not in high school. She's not young, uh, to, that young anymore. She's still young, but she gives up a lot of her time to hang out with high school kids and, and with the leaders uh, uh, of those high school kids. She lays her life down. She makes time. She loves and cares for them. And I said to Kurt Courtney, I can totally see you've got the gift of shepherding. And so here's the thing. Um, uh, maybe I can put it this way, that uh, every elder is a pastor, because as we said, a, a, an elder is a pastor, an, a, a, an overseer, and, um, and has authority, you know, those three things. Um, but every pastor is not an elder. And so there's very likely that, that somebody's got the gift of shepherding, of pastoring, uh, and they're a woman. And that's totally fine. And so in Courtney's case, she's serving as a deacon on staff. She's being employed by Do That. And some of her, uh, her portfolio, so to speak, is that of caring and, 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 uh, for, for, uh, for teenagers and, and the leaders, which she does really well. And so, uh, you know, even looking at those Ephesians 4 gifts, uh, most of us are okay with not saying, oh, that guy's got the gift of evangelism. We don't call him Evangelist Jack. Or, or Jill is very prophetic. We don't say, oh, that's Prophet Jill. Or this is Teacher Faith. No, we're quite happy with just saying Jack, Jill, and Faith uh, by their first names. But why is there this emphasis to call someone Pastor Vic? Uh, and so that's why when someone says you don't have women pastors, I said, well, no, we also don't have male pastors because we don't call them pastor so-and-so. Uh, it's a value of ours. I, we get it from Jesus. Matthew 23, 23 says, uh, uh, it's, it's the account of where Jesus confronts the hypocritical leaders of the day. Uh, and, and one of the things he says, they love titles. They love to be noticed. They love to be praised. And he says to his disciples outright, he says, don't do it. Don't be like that. Don't let somebody call you teacher, call you rabbi. He says, rather you should humble yourself and rather be the least among you. Uh, he's, he's discouraging this sort of chasing after titles. And so, you know, that would be our answers that we, we, we don't have women pastors in the way that they perhaps are used to that being played out, where the title is added to the front of a person. Um, maybe we can have a conversation about that another day. Second one is uh, don't lead uh, for the love of profit. Verse 2 says, not for shameful gain. Don't do it for shameful gain, but do it eagerly. Now, again, Peter is not against uh, gaining uh, at all. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 and 18 talks about an elder who, who, uh, who teaches well, who's therefore worthy of double honor. There's a sense that, you, you know, remunerate, remunerate, whichever one it is, uh, uh, you know, pay them well um, as, they, as they work hard, as they serve you well. Uh, so, so gain it itself is not what he's against. He's against shameful gaining, where the motive is to gain perhaps popularity and maybe to gain financially. Uh, you know, you think about this Instagram account, Preachers and Sneakers, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy. Actually, uh, uh, the, the platforms that some of these preachers have uh, and, and clearly uh, the, the finances that flow as a result of that, you know. And, and Peter's just saying, listen, this isn't about the money. This isn't about the fame. This isn't about the platform. You know, I, I worked for a few years as a marketplace elder uh, uh, on my own, my own business. Um, and then I was asked to come on staff at a church and I responded to that. And when I did that, I actually took a pay cut. You know, I didn't get paid more. I wasn't climbing the corporate ladder. I was actually getting down or off of the corporate ladder. Um, it's not about 
the money. It's not about shameful gain, gain that, that, that you should be embarrassed about in a sense. Um, Chuck Colson, who was actually uh, uh, the special, on the special counsel to President Nixon, this is kind of late 70, 60s, early 70s, I think, he wrote actually about uh, working for the president uh, and engaging with religious leaders. This is what he said. When I served under President Nixon, one of my jobs was to work with the special interest groups, including religious leaders, who would invite them to the White House, wine and dine them, take them on cruises aboard the presidential yacht, etc. Ironically, few people were more easily impressed than religious leaders. The very people who should have been immune to the worldly pomp seemed the most vulnerable. And that's really sad. And Peter is warning against that, saying, don't fall for the bait. Don't take the bait of, uh, of shameful gain. But be eager uh, to, to, to serve Jesus. Um, Francis Chan, uh, he's a well-known uh, leader in the evangelical community. I mean, he talked about kind of social media and, and you know, these platforms that many uh, preachers have. And he talked about John the Baptist. He compared him uh, and saying John the Baptist said that, you know, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. You know, John the Baptist preached and prepared the way for Jesus. And actually today, maybe the social media culture is, is one where uh, people think that to be an influencer for Jesus, you must increase. Your influence must increase so that Jesus' influence could increase. And actually, the kingdom of God is always about doing things upside down. It's an upside down kingdom. And so I would go with John the Baptist's uh, advice saying, actually, if you want to see Jesus increase, you take the low road. You, you actually intentionally decrease uh, and see what happens. Um, I think that's what Peter's trying to teach you. And then number three, he says, do not lead uh, for the love of power. Verse three says, do not be domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And, you know, we read a few verses earlier, verses one, uh, it says shepherds should be among the flock. And in verse two, actually, it says flock, the flock must be among the shepherds. And so there's the sense that both, it goes both ways, that there's proximity, there's nearness. Um, and, and it's not that, that, that leaders, elders are above people, domineering, lording it over. Jesus himself, you know, he, he, he confronted that. He said, that's not the kingdom way of influencing. No, you're near, you're close. And of course, as churches grow and it scales, unfortunately, scale creates distance. And that's why larger churches have to work harder. The larger, the harder the work to keep that sort of nearness, that among us vibe going. You have to work at that because you could lose that as you grow. Um, and leadership should be connected. They should be approachable. They should be close. You know? and, and it saddens me sometimes that when people treat me as if I'm kind of better than, than them, as if there's some kind of privilege attached to having a conversation with me. Um, now, I have to just stop and say, of course, there's limitations as to how far uh, our, in, our connectedness can go. Um, and uh, uh, I lost my place there. Uh, I, I and Mike and Toby, we cannot be among everyone as individuals. It cannot be expected of us to be among everyone. And that is why there's a team. That's why we serve as a team. We share the load. And so I always say this, every elder cannot know every person, but every person can know an elder. And when the church grows and, and the, the, you know, that, that connectedness is put under strain, we grow the eldership team. Actually, even right now, there's some uh, men that are going through some training in terms of, uh, of eldership. Um, because as we grow, we want to make sure that this reality of being among people uh, it can be in place. And then uh, Jesus, of, uh, well, Peter, <laughs> is saying, be an example. Uh, be an example 
to others. You know, even in the Middle East, um, the, the shepherds would go in front of the sheep and the sheep would recognize their voice, would follow them. There's a sense that the, the shepherds go ahead of the flock. They, 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 uh, they are on the territory before the sheep's on that territory. They go before them. And I think that authority as an elder actually comes from setting a good example. That's why the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1 are things that should be there already. It should be in place in their lives, those character qualifications, because that gives you authority. It gives you credibility. Uh, it was said of Jesus the same thing Matthew chapter 7 28 uh, to 29 they say Jesus was teaching with authority amazing unlike the scribes and what they were saying was that that the scribes knew all the stuff but they didn't do it and Jesus both said and did it there was a there was not a disconnect between his words he was leading by example and Hebrews 13 says the same thing. You should consider the outcome of your leaders and imitate their way of life. In other words, to consider the outcome of my way of life, I need to live my life in front of you, the, the good and the bad. And, uh, and 2 Thessalonians 3 tells us that Paul and his team in front of the Thessalonians church, he says to them that he were, he, they were examples to them uh, so that they could be imitated. This is what it means to be a leader, saying, follow me as I follow Christ. That's, that's uh, Paul's words directly. Um, and uh, that's what discipleship means. It's apprenticeship. It's coming alongside, walking the road with someone. So a leader is someone who's saying, uh, I'm not going to lord it over. That's what the Gentiles do. Jesus said, don't be like them, abusing their power. You're not over anybody. In fact, a Christian leader is underneath people, not in the sense that they walk all over you, but that you carry them, you share the burden, you support them, you carry the flock. And so in closing, he's encouraging leaders to do that for the unfading crown of glory. Because actually aiming for fame as a leader, that fades. Aiming for the, the title, uh, that fades eventually. Aiming for the finances, you know, it's not gonna happen. Um, but it says when Jesus appears, in other words, Jesus is coming, just hang tight. Uh, it's best to wait for that moment when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That affirmation, that crown of glory is an unfading one. And so instead of chasing the fading things right now, uh, take a back seat, make his name famous, uh, and an unfading crown of glory, glory will be yours. Uh, because he is the chief shepherd. You know, Peter, as he writes this here, Peter was the rock, all right? Jesus changed his name, uh, you know, from pebble to stone. I think that's how it went. Um, Peter, you, on this rock, I will build my church. He, you know, he, he, he knew he was the rock, but he basically is writing as saying, there's only one person that will rock the flock, and that is the rock of the ages. That is Jesus Christ. He is the chief shepherd. And you know what's so amazing? If Jesus is the chief shepherd, then even elders like me are under shepherds, and we ourselves technically are sheep too, because he is the shepherd. Um, and so we're all sheep in that sense. We're all following the great and the good shepherd who laid out his life for his sheep. Um, and, you know, he ends off by encouraging the young. And so, yeah, age plays into a little bit of what he's saying over here. Uh, you know, I remember I was, I was appointed as an elder when I was 26 years old. And honestly, I look back at my first few years serving on eldership and I blush at some of the things I said and did uh, as a young leader. And so I think there is wisdom even in the Old Testament. I think the Levites, the priests, they kind of from age 30 uh, could serve in that capacity. So I think there is definitely wisdom in that. So that's why he's addressing the younger to submit to the elders um, uh, because, you know, young people, 
people are likely to kind of kick against authority a bit more than older ones are. Um, but I think Peter is talking to everybody. He says, all of you clothe yourself with humility. So he's not just focusing on young punks. He's also saying to everybody, come on now, uh, let's, let's do it God's way. Let's submit in humility to the leaders that God's given us. And I think if leaders live and look the way, if they have the ingredients on the label, as we've discussed over here, leaders are worthy of submission. It's easy to, to submit to a leader who lays his life down, who doesn't do it for the profit or for, for the fame uh, or for the gain, uh, but does it for the benefit of others. Lead uh, uh, in the ways that, that he is describing uh, or has described over here. That is the kind of leader that I think is easy to submit to. It's easy to humble yourself and follow them. But he's just basically saying, as elders should be confident in their uh, authority to exercise oversight, so should followers be. They should intentionally uh, submit and trust the Lord. And then we'll look at you know, humility next week, um, uh, you know, uh, because there's no more time left. So let me pray. I trust this will be a fun discussion in the community groups as well. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, help us, Lord Jesus, to, uh, to ultimately be followers of you. That's what we want to be, disciples devoted to you, Jesus. Um, and, uh, and let that be worked out here in the local church in a way that honors you and brings glory to your name, not ours. In your name, I pray. Amen. Hey, City Gates. Um, I'm going to just close this off at a commission. Vic, thanks so much for teaching us through that passage. Uh, it's so valuable, so important for our lives. Um, as we close off, I just want to focus on the last verse uh, of what um, Peter is talking about in that passage when he talks about humility. And he says, in verse 5, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I think that there's kind of an application in something else in the New Testament, because sometimes just be humble is a little bit vague. It's not super specific. But the way Paul talks about this in Philippians 2 is in verses 3 and 4, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And the point is, is it's really valuable. One of the ways that we can show humility toward one another is by actually just considering what's best for somebody else before we consider what's best for me. And I just wanna focus on one application of that in the life of our church. We are in this season, this time of moving back into more close contact with one another, more opportunities to actually meet in person. And during a meeting uh, that I was a part of with some other City Gators, we talked about how valuable it is for us to show up ready to participate in sharing and giving and encouraging one another because we've been in this time this season of constantly basically being passive and receiving through the services that have been really valuable but often through a screen and so we're kind of out of practice of being people who are ready to show up to give and to love and to serve And so I want to encourage us, guys, one of the ways that we can be humble towards one another, uh, one of the ways that we can can do that is by being ready to serve, being ready to encourage, by showing up loaded, showing up energized and ready to give. And I just want to, the reality is, is the way that we can do that is by setting aside some time to recharge so that we can have the energy to give. Because a lot of time when we show up, Maybe we've had a crazy Saturday. Maybe we had a late Saturday night. Um, Maybe when we come to church, we're feeling tired. 
And so that takes intentionality to go, I'm gonna set some, side, some time aside, my personal devotions, maybe just five minutes on a Friday or Saturday, or even a Sunday morning before coming to a watch party or turning on your screen to go, Jesus, how, I would love something to be able to encourage somebody else with. Open your Bible, look at God's promises and consider, what can I have here? Well, how can I get some energy that I can give away? And then show up, show up to your small group, show up to a watch party and, and be ready to encourage, be ready to serve. I just, that's my challenge to you guys. Humble, let's humble ourselves, humble, put other people's interests before our own and be ready to encourage, be ready to serve. So bless you, I wanna encourage you, even just as you turn this off, as you step away, if you're at a watch party, go pray with somebody about this. Say, I, Jesus, I need more help. I need your spirit, I need your promises. Would you give me something to give away to other people? Bless you, have an awesome week, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon in person.